Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello there, welcome to another edition of the Driven Chat Podcast. I'm Andy Jay, and I'll tell you what, we are bringing you the show from a completely new venue today. You know, oftentimes we'll be going around the country in our driven truck and chatting to fascinating people and the great and the good from the automotive scene. Well, today we have someone very special from a very cool location. We are coming from the bowels of Soho. We're recording in Soho Radio, and I'm delighted to say, as ever, I'm joined by the resplendent Amy Shaw, photographer to the stars. Hello, Andy J. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you very much. I'm strangely, just to set the scene for the listener, I'm sat on my own in a booth with a big pane of glass because I'm like the old one, the COVID risk. And the three others are in this kind of special cool room, which looks cool. And I'm just in this kind of funny little space. Anyway, sat opposite Amy is the man who has car in his name. He's Gumball 3000's finest. He was responsible partly for Caffeine and Machine. And we love him to bits. It's the one and only Mr. John Marker. That's, the, I think, the nicest intro you've ever given me, Andy. Thank you. Well, because I used the word love in it. Yes, that's definitely why. Because we're getting close to Christmas. Well, and also because it's easy to kind of go really soft with the pair of you because our guest is hard as nails. Mm -hmm. It's fair. Fair comment. Isn't it? 14 years in the military, four years as in the parachute regiment, 10 years in the SAS. He's done two Everest summits. He was on the recent series of SAS Who Dares Wins. And I'm relieved I'm the one on the other side of the screen because... (laughs) You know, he could kill a yak with his stare. I'm <laughs> delighted to welcome Mr. Jay Morton. How are you doing, Jay? Very good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. 
have you i mean let's let's get straight in with this jay because you know we're here because you've been doing a day of podcasts right mm. you've you've had this chat so many times so how many yaks have you killed with, with your stare <laughs> if, I, if i told you i'd have to kill you <laughs> which is, which That's is why I'm sensitive in here. Uh, information that is it's because there, there's the a, yak community there's been a decline in the yak population and we have a vested interest in yeah, yeah, yeah. here in driven chat i've not seen any yaks in the uk but <laughs> especially not where you live jay yeah of course on the south coast that would be that would be the problem there um so jay look this is obviously an automotive skewing podcast and there is a reason for us chatting to you about cars and racing and all kinds of exciting things and we're going to come on to that because i'm just going to sow the seed anyone listening and they're used to hearing us kind of diving straight in with car chat once we've had a bit of kind of waffly stuff and that's what we're used to and that's what they'll be getting because we'll be coming on to the fact that you're going to be racing with praga cars pretty soon which is really exciting Mm. and is completely new for you and i've seen the look of the car you're driving and my word man it looks incredible however before we get into that i thought it would be important to get the gist of you because you're a really cool person who's had a fascinating life and if you're cool with that i'd like us to just kind of unpack some of your career to date is that all right yeah sure um so i'm a ex-special forces soldier so like you said um i was born in in the northern town of preston um left school and then didn't really know what i was i wanted to do so managed to find myself in the military joined the parachute regiment and served with uh, three para for four years, uh, just about the time when Afghanistan was kicking off uh, in 2006, and then decided that that I just wanted more out of my career and more out of what I was doing, so decided to go on special forces selection in 2008, um, passed, and then did a further 10 years serving with the SAS. And I guess during that time was... Um, not by choice, I ended up specialising in the mountains, which led me to train as a mountain guide in, in Germany. That then led to being selected to lead some expeditions for, for the regiment um, in the high mountains, so mountains above 8,000 metres, um, of which I led two to the summit of Everest, one whilst I was serving and then one after I'd left last year in 2019. It's quite interesting because there aren't many mountains in Preston, are there? <laughs> <laughs> well it's not flat no but it's not flat so i i did I, i'm sure we all have done a bit of background reading and that that wasn't your first choice was it mountain no um because i was from a, a parachute background so yeah, my first choice was was air troop mm-hmm. or mobility and you you either get um your choice of what squadron you go into or you get what choice of troop you go into right and i managed to get my second choice in what squadron I wanted to go go to, and the two other guys that I was badging with, they decided, they managed to get the first choice in the troop. Um, I went to mountain, which was like like you said, right? Yeah. Preston's there's no mountains. <laughs> never skied, never climbed, <laughs> never put a pair of climbing shoes on, or even thought that I'd end up on on mountains. So is it a bit like picking your GCSEs? It's like you get given your subjects. I'd like to do art and maths and science, and then it's like, wow, well, you weren't quite good enough for maths, so. Do drama instead. Was it a bit like that? <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, easy off on Pretty. the drama. Yeah, on. I did drama too. I also did drama. Yeah, yeah. We're, all, we're all very yeah. dramatic. Yeah. I kind of wish I did drama. It's it, you know it, it's a it's a strange feeling of confidence that you suddenly need when you when you like a teenager and you think oh, I have no confidence that you forced to do drama because I, exactly that I wanted to do music I did not get that I got into drama did you not? yep oh. and then uh, boom you suddenly have to be confident and so yeah it's of course a really that's why change. no one chooses it 
because it is quite out be... of your comfort zone. Yeah, right? well, I mean, was was that for you when you were when you thought, okay, mountains? Is that like, oh, oh, okay, then I'm I'm out my comfort zone here, but I'm gonna give it a best shot anyway. Or yeah, a little like bit. A... Like I, I I managed to injure myself on selection, oh, no. so I, I ended up with a slip disc, and um, <laughs> which I just carried on doing selection with. Because uh, at the time, the thought of coming off and having to redo six months of selection mm-hmm. was way worse than just, you know, grimacing the pain for the rest of the five or four months that I had remaining. So when I finished, I was supposed to go and do uh, what's called a basic mountain course. Um, and I couldn't because of my back. Um, and I remember going out to Spain to do some some sport climbing with the basic mountain course that was already running. And um, I'd almost been thrown in the deep end because the lads had already done quite a lot of, of of climbing before going out to Spain. So they were all quite proficient. Never even put a, a harness on in my life. <laughs> these guys are going up these routes. And I just remember thinking, like, I didn't like it because I was completely thrown in the deep end. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. Same with skiing. I remember going skiing for the first time and like everyone in the troop could, could ski. And we went out to Banff in Canada. So, you know, it's almost like a lad's holiday, right? Yep. They just ski off black roots, red roots, whatever. And I'm just left following them without any tuition. Cool. What's this weird lift thing that we're sitting on? Where does it go? How do we get back down literally, again? Literally like that. Like thrown in the deep end. Well, this is what I want to ask them. Because with your racing, you're new to racing. You've not gone the easy route. You've gone straight into the deep end. Is, is that something you, you feel like as a person you like to think, you know, I'll just go in for the hardest thing because then if everything else after that is easy. A little bit, yeah. But then I, I didn't have the choice to go into the soft end anyway. So it was it was all or nothing. Um I love a challenge. Yeah. I like being thrown into difficult things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, racing for Praga was simply a no-brainer for me. Do you think that with all the training that you've had up until this point, that that will have given you an edge in terms of racing because your ability to maybe break a quarter of a second later and that almost like lack of fear that you have to have in racing um, is almost the thing that could give you the edge. Is that something you've, you've got so far from your times that you've been getting so far with, with your... Because you've been um, working with DTO as well. That, uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Great guys. Yeah. Um, and from yeah, from the times you're getting from that, are you thinking... Are you being told that actually this is this is really good for, for someone that's only just getting into racing or is it... Is there no difference? Like Yeah, no, I think, you know, my, my past history helps me, you know, loads in, in racing... Um, I just generally, it's not the fear aspect, right? It's, it's the knowledge of, like, I don't see it as something that I'm, I'm scared of, or I have fear doing. It's simply right. I need to, <clears throat> I need to be faster here or break earlier here mm-hmm. or, t- you know, turn into this corner with way more speed. And I don't see it as something as, you know, I'm breaking because I'm worried what the car will do. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I look at it in an analytical way and go, this is what I need to do to be faster. Yep. And I think that's probably an advantage that I would have to someone starting from complete scratch with absolutely no experience in in cars mm-hmm. racing around a, a track which is you know pretty much where i'm at um like i'd, I'd fear or i don't feel the fear that that a, a normal person might do like that yeah. my first race is with dto in, in the Ginetta. nice that there was another guy in, in my class and he came over and he's like man he's like i was like so nervous and yeah. i just thought like I wasn't as nervous I was just see I've just done my first race right an XJS and I was bricking it like the really? whole way around and but, but I felt that that fear kind of pushed me further and I got faster and faster but... what were you more nervous of right were you more nervous of what you're doing or were you more nervous of not being as good as you wanted to be oh, so this is I've got some question for you about this kind of mental uh, yeah mental kind of process um for me I was scared of um I, I suppose like not doing as well as 
people either expected of me or that I expected of me. But I think the only th- for me, the only thing I wanted to do was not crash and not spin and preferably not come last. But that was like the, 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 the lowest thing on my, my priorities. Um, was that kind of your process or were you just like, no, I want to be in top 10 straight off? Yeah, I think the internal competitive <laughs> spirit and he wants to be top two, right? First race win. But, but I, I know that that's... Like after doing some driving and racing with guys that have been doing it since they were eight years old, yeah. I know that that's not going to happen. Yeah. And I'm the same as you, Amy. Like my biggest goal now is to finish a race yeah. and not spin off. Have you had a spin or anything yet? Yeah. I was going to say. I, did, I, your... I went out in the Praga last week. I had two spins. Did you? Ended up in the gravel, yeah. Well, tell us. I mean, look, we've we've kind of touched on this really cool thing that you're racing. Tell us about the Praga because it is mad. Yeah. Yeah, it is mad. Give us um, a, just just describe it for us. Yeah, so the the Praga R1 is a 600 kilogram full aero car. Um, the it's got a two liter Renault engine which produces 350 brake horsepower. It's got a carbon monocoque, so it's incredibly light. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's ridiculous. And I think you know that the feeling that I got in it from from driving you know road cars on track or GT cars yeah. on track was that it's nothing like that. Well, downforce is a lot of people. A lot of racing drivers will describe downforce as it's almost like the mentality of flight rather than driving because you're so dependent on going fast for a car to work and do what it needs to do from a physics and dynamics point of view in the corner that it is a complete reset. And I'm wondering, I'm trying to work out if it's it's potentially an advantage with you not having done a lot of aero racing before then suddenly getting straight into an aero car being told this is how it works this is how fast you need to go around this particular corner um and if you're not going that fast then it's not going to work you're either going to go straight on or fall off do you think you do you think you're at an advantage there or do you think do you wish you'd perhaps maybe had more of a career in the more gt focused field first or where are you at i, I, I struggle to answer the question because i've yeah. not had either i'm forced into where i'm at so well how about <clears> something <throat> like this then as simple as this coming out of the Janetta. Right. So in the Janetta, you probably don't feel like you've got this complete awareness, but compared to being in the Praga, you are less of your senses are available to you. Do you know what I mean? In the Janetta, you've got a bit of periphery vision within the nature of your your helmet. You can hear a bit more of the track because of the way the car is set up and because of its proximity to the windows, etc., etc. In the Praga, you've got less of that. A lot of a lot more of it presumably has to be about balls of steel. And race instinct. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, I struggle to find, a, like, a description for driving the Praga compared to driving a car. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, like, from everything from setting off, you know, trying to find the clutch and trying to gauge that so it's correctly so that you don't stall it. Um, even just driving it in first gear out of the pits was a challenge. <laughs> um, is it a manual? No, it's... it's um, paddle. Paddle, paddles. yeah. Right. But you've got to set off with a clutch, mm-hmm. and then I don't know that it's it's louder. It vibrates. It gets to a certain engine tone, and it screams in your ear. Yeah. And um, I was chatting to Martin Crompton, who races the car that I went out in, mm-hmm. who's going to be racing for Praga next year. And um, he was like, "Have you got some earplugs?" And I was just like, <laughs> it, "Like, well, I need earplugs." And he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "I'll be all right." <laughs> I remember my first lap, and I put the you know floored it, and like it got to this this note the engine because it's you know it's a couple of inches from behind yeah. your head and it just started like screaming in my ears and i could feel almost the bones of my ears rattling <laughs> i was like maybe i do need to a bit of tinnitus kicking in at some point <laughs> yeah nasty see stuff. don't you do you see what i mean though you don't need the earplugs with a janetta you know it's, no. it's that's what i'm talking about the sense but it is kind yeah of... you, you you know you feel everything in the in, in the in the prague it's, yeah. it's a race car right i remember the janetta's a... a car 
It's yeah, more of exactly. a car, right? It's yeah. more like you drive in. It's it's a car that's taken off the street that's built into a race car. Yeah. Whereas the Praga is that's what it is, right? It's built out of the box it's a, to it's a, be fast. Yeah. It's yeah. everything about it is is different. The noises, the yeah, the feel, everything. I remember a few years ago talking to um a chap called Jan Mardenborough, he might have heard of racing driver. Mm-hmm. He accelerated through the, the PlayStation scheme. It was a competition where you could play Gran Turismo and the fastest lap would get qualified into progressing the career and having a go in a real race car and it turned out he was actually pretty hot he was pretty pretty fast he is really Really nice nice guy guy. and i remember one of the things that stuck in my head from jan was he was saying the one thing that he never considered he he thought about the noise he thought about the feeling of it he thought about even the physics of the car despite the fact that a lot of his racing was done in a, a play seat simulator type thing he said the thing that really stood out to him was the smells things that you don't ever think of until you're out on the track you're like what the hell is that smell that goes with that noise and when the engine runs hot and sounds fast and sounds yeah. angry suddenly it smells different and are there any kind of atmospheric feelings that you just have really taken you by surprise or do you know do you know what i think it was it was less the senses it was more it was more the the sensation of all the senses yeah it was the feeling that it gave you mm. like I've been out, like, the, the GT cars are exciting on a track, and I drove the M2 that the guys at DTO have, and that was, you know, possibly, after the Praga, one of the best things that I've driven on a track. Cool. Because uh, of the setup. Mm-hmm. And then cars completely different. You know, you roll into a corner, it sits on one side. Um, yeah, it was, you know, you could leave the Ginetta after driving it around a track, and, you, you know, I left I left driving that Praga around a track, and I just wanted to get back in it again. Mm-hmm. Like, it, the sensation of it and the buzz that it gives you know, the awareness that it gives you senses whilst you're driving it is completely different from a normal car or a GT car. It's yeah. just, I don't know, like, I just want to get back in it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite frustrating coming, like, spinning off the second time because it was it was 3.30 and Donington was closing at 4. Yeah. And, you know, I did I did the drive of shame out on the, uh, <laughs> on the back of the low loader. You get that red uh, mist every last half an hour. Yeah, and I came off and I was just like, I just I was doing so well, I probably did about 12 laps without spinning off and then... Um, you know, uh, so it's the back corner, the big long right-hand corner. Yep. You come up the slight hill. Yep. And uh, that's where I spun off on on the earlier lap. And it's literally as I was trying to reduce the braking time. And obviously, you don't appreciate that you're going uphill, and then you lose lose traction. And physics then... does a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. You're going up the hill, and then it's it's, a, it's, it's a, yeah the right turn. It's the isn't long it? right-hand yeah. corner down to the straight, and then into the chicane. Yep. So um, where did this come from, though, Jay? Because you're just kind of thinking about it. If I was the boss. Of Praga cars, right? I'd be like, do you know what? We need a we need a new driver. We we got a new team. We we got this crazy car together. I know, I'll get some guy who's done loads of incredibly hardcore things. He's been up Everest a couple of times. He's served and seen the front line on a number of different levels. That doesn't necessarily speak. He's going to be fast on track. So, like, how did that connection come about? Um. Well, you know, Prague is going to do this. Um, what was it called? I forget the name of it. So it's like a, a racing academy for people that haven't raced before. Yeah. Uh, so they're, you know, they're going to bring in people that have not raced before, put them through some sort of training and program, and put them in this uh, event next year with Brit Car, which will be a single class uh, event. So it'll just be Prague's racing against Prague's, all in the turbo car. Um, and then I guess personally for me, it was. For for me, it's like like I said before, I, I enjoy a challenge. I enjoy doing difficult things. Motorsport is something, or, or cars and performance is, is something that I'm driven by. Um, so, you know, g- given the option to drive in, in, in this, this academy with Praga, it's, 
for me, it's it's the easiest decision that I've ever had to make. It's it ticks all the boxes of things, you know, of, of what I want to do in my life. Mm-hmm. So they phoned you. That was the thing. It was. I met Mark. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and um, the rest is history. Just a <laughs> casual met. chat, and it the, it was yeah. It, it was um, it was it was the first meeting I had out of lockdown uh, with Mark, and we uh, we met. I think close to where he lives uh, with my manager at the time, and we sat on a park on a bench, had some food, and. <laughs> You know, he told the story of Praga and, you know, went into a bit of the history and like I'm, you know, I grew up around cars. Like my dad had some classic cars, a couple of scimitars and MGs when I was growing up and I'd spend time under the bonnet with my dad growing up, you know, changing the manifolds and, you know, to full engine strip downs and all sorts. He built a kit car. So I've always been, you know, dragged around the NEC on car shows growing up. And obviously then you join the military and you get drawn away from that stuff because you're so focused on and what you're doing in the military but um yeah I sat down with Mark in this meeting and he just explained you know about Praga and the history and what they're doing now and the car that they're bringing out next year and so did yeah. that feel a bit like recapturing a passion when you when suddenly this world was opened up to you come and have a go at racing come and get more involved in cars was it like something had was it like a distant memory that popped back on or was it had it always been there <laughs> I always thought I could have been a decent racing car driver yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but just like motorsports one of those things and you you guys probably understand this that it's hard it's hard to get into yeah especially as a kid Possibly, yeah and I have no idea how to get into it mm. um and I've met some incredible people like you know DTO or um the guy Luke at Fastar who who are sponsoring people to come in and, and race yeah um but if I was starting out like I've always had an, an itch or a bug to race like a, I had you know fast bikes when I was 20 years old and mm. got that out of my system and I'd love to have taken those on track and raced them. You still got bikes now, haven't you? Yeah, I've got yeah, but I've got I've gone for the the, the Harley. I like <laughs> I like the comfort and yeah. uh, just chilling out. There's um, a slight disapproving grimace on just, John Markell's face there. And Amy Schwartz. I'm just not there. I'm just I'm just yeah. not there yet with the, I, I got, with the Harleys. Yeah, I got like I had uh, like a GSXR 600, then I got a thousand. And I was like 21 years old and nearly lost my license. That's a brave, <laughs> a brave bike. At a I loved it. Ambitious age. Yeah, but that, but you've got the, um, you're less risk averse then, aren't you? So Absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you want to be, try and pop wheelies on the streets and do endos and. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course, that's what I do every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> whereas, <laughs> known for it. whereas now I'm like, do you know what? I'd love a Ducati or something like that, but I just wouldn't trust myself driving it. See, that's my world, and I, I love it, and I still every single time. I'm currently without a Ducati, but up until very recently, I had a Panigale. And every single time, I used to have this conversation with people who were like, don't you just feel like you're going to kill yourself or is it not terrifying? And the answer every time is yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. And I think the day that I get on the bike and I don't think mm. I might die today, as dramatic as that sounds, the day that I don't get on the bike and think I might die, or at the very least, there might be some very significant life-changing event that happens within the next couple of hours, that's the day you should stop riding. Because it's a bit like going to the Nürburgring and saying, I'm going to try and time my lap when you haven't done a thousand laps already. The day that you go on the ring and go, I'm going to try and set a lap time, that's probably the day you have a crash. Yeah, that's true. And it's. I think it's a yeah. that mentality. I hear it a lot from people who really want to get into bikes. Mm-hmm. Like they love the idea of super bikes, but go, oh, but I think I'd kill myself. I'm like, no, that's the mentality you actually want. Because, yeah, because if you go you in with that, that yeah. you, the minute you lose it, you're fearless and you get clumsy. But that's what a 21-year-old kid does, right? Exactly. He doesn't think about <laughs> getting wrapped around a tree. But now, so I love, instead, I love you went off to go and shoot people. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, and get yeah. shot at more importantly yeah i love my harley now though it's it's, it's the kind of right like i go out with mates on a, a saturday in the summer and so what model is it uh fat bob okay cool yeah, fat boy sorry fat, fat boy. boy yeah gotcha Amy, you are, you're well. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a classic classic bike person, so okay. I've got that level of fear. But because of it being classic bikes, you always think that either something's going to break down or you'll feel very very vulnerable. Like I can't power out of a a, a, a sticky situation as such. Mm. <laughs> I have to have like my tummy to the tank because I'm trying to overtake lorry yeah. <laughs> on downhill. So with the wind like flapping you around. Yeah, everywhere. and then like some some older bikes that I ride, like 1947 BSAs, they're on the spring seats. So as soon as you go around the corners. I think my rear end's going out, and there's that I level of fear. Of like const- yeah. Constant high level of fear. But I, I don't understand this, like, sing on a Harley or, or, you know, Ducatis and really going for it. But in saying that, I would like to go on a track, on a track day with I'd the bikes. I'd love to track, yeah. Mm. Like California Superbike Schools. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, you don't anything like that. I haven't. Do you know, but, so car track days, I used to run a car track day company. Yeah. used to do in-car tuition and all sorts. Um, and I used to tutor people that would come along to track days in really lovely fast cars, M3s, GT3s, that sort of stuff. And they'd always come along and say, oh, you know, I've, I've had the car for a few years, but I'm terrified at the idea of going on track. And I'd, it would always really confuse me. I'd say, why? You know, you've got this amazing car and you've got this you know, amazing facility to be in. Um, and I never understood that mentality until I until I started riding superbikes. And then someone said, when are you going to do your first track day? And I went, oh, I don't know if I fancy it, actually. It's but doing strange... it on your bike, because, like, what have you got, Panagali? <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't want to drop that on a track. No, no. no. And everyone that I speak to at, uh, you know, you do the typical thing, you turn up to a, a bike cafe or like Caffeine a Machine, for example, and somebody will rock up on a GSX or something <clears> and say, and they, you know, they've got the leathers that look like they've been dragged along the floor for 20 miles already because they do the track days and they've, they do slide off. And every single person that's ever looked at the bike has gone, yeah, if you're going to do it, don't do it on that. Yeah, of course. Don't do it on that because it will spoil it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Whereas, yeah, but yeah. to me, I'm like, but it's... I'd buy like a beat up 600. Yeah. Like a 6. That's the like sensible thing to do. An R1, like an old 2003 R1 or yeah. something. Yep. Just, yeah, not care about sliding it. Yep. Invest in some good leathers. That's yep. it. Good leathers and lots of spare panels. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine coming off on track and sliding out on a bike is way different from... <laughs> well, it is. Absolutely. the top section of Donington Park. <laughs> yeah. No, indeed. But then there's that reassuring thing with bikes, isn't there, on a, on a track days, when when it does go wrong, because it's sensible to assume that at some point it's going to go wrong mm. and you do slide off, the worst thing you're going to slide into is either a gravel trap that's going to slow you down or a nice comfy tyre wall. <laughs> Doing that on the road when you've got telephone boxes, lampposts, yeah, park benches, yeah. pensioners. Do you have the full um, like ABS and traction on it? Yeah. It, there's the option to... You can crank it up to granny spec as the as that was the genuine uh wording of the Ducati dealer i bought the bike from <laughs> granny mode get all the settings on or if you want to actually ride it you turn it all off and it's very clever it does it's got anti-wheelie and... could you do it on wet so you could whack in granny mode on the wet yeah 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 it's got could a wet mode literally because that that would freak me out a little bit is having because because right if you put your foot down or you skid on uh, in a rear wheel drive car that's got traction control yeah on a road it doesn't feel like the consequences of that oversteering or, or spinning out of control, if the traction didn't work, are way less than if you pull the throttle back on a bike in exactly. a corner. You're not about to fall out of the car, are you? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like the, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the so thought the, of doing it on a bike. I had a go on the latest V4 Panigale S recently, which blew my mind because it's got this setting on it, which is anti-wheelie and traction control, and it's for hard launches. And the... The, the screen actually says full throttle, dump clutch. And in your head, you're like, well, that's just going to flip the bike. Yeah, it's just going to flip the bike over. But no, you 
full throttle, you lift the clutch and the thing just hunkers down and it just goes. And it's it's literally like someone's just walked up to you, grabbed your brain and gone, going to swap this with a different brain yeah. because this this isn't anything like what you've experienced. It just corrects everything. It just do. does everything. It does it, but I made the mistake of I've gone into the world of superbikes with all that tech. So the yeah. idea of not having that tech terrifies me. Whereas in cars, if I get into a brand new M2 or an M8 or AMG Mercedes, I want everything off. I don't yeah. want anything interfering with the way I'm driving that car when I'm on track. But on a bike, I'm still very much like, no, I'll keep those things. So I want, I want that nice, comfy reassurance and safety. Yeah, we are. We should point out actually, we Amy and I have been trying to talk Andy into the world of bikes. Andy's not a biker yet. Really, um, Ooh, and track track days racing all of that um, not interested <laughs> <laughs> so every time we, we find am... somebody bike orientated we, we try to kind of massage the subject in but I don't feel like this one's helping the, only, want, th- um... the only thing I would be tempted to get is full throttle dump clutch on the front and back of a pair of pants I think be, <laughs> I think that would work so, Jay I've got, I got to ask you though because obviously this is this is like another adrenaline kick but how much of it is about control for example we could get you in a sidecar with Maria Costello, the, the TT legend, we could get her on the bike and you in the sidecar. Would that thrill you or scare you shitless? Yeah, I'd do it. <laughs> Even though you're yeah. not in control. Yeah. 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 But like, she's a professional, right? So, yeah, yeah good mentality. So, it'd be fun. Yeah. Like obviously, if you went, right, we're going to pick a random guy off the street, <laughs> stick him in a full GT Barry bike and sidecar, would you do that? Like, no chance. Yeah. Well, okay, is there anything, okay, a couple of couple of deep questions I want to ask okay. that. Anything that you've tried and you've not managed to succeed at, and with that, how do you deal with something like failure or disappointment in yourself? Is it something that you do accept and think, this is I'm not made for this, or is that something you're like, because I think I've read somewhere like on your website, failure is not an, is not an option, and how yeah how do you do because failure is inevitable at some points in in life so i'm really intrigued to someone who's so successful in what they want to do how you deal with that yeah like failed loads of times but i don't know <clears throat> i think i think there's a drama in calling it a failure because you know i probably fail multiple times a day in little things that i do and whether it's you know obviously the bigger the bigger the thing that you fail at sometimes the bigger the consequence mm-hmm. um but it's progression it's not failure um, you just trying things and, it, and they don't they don't work out. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest failures I had was probably when I started climbing and um, my first eight thousand meter peak, Manaslu. Um, and you know, I was I was a mountain guide at the time, so I had experience climbing mountains and knew about avalanches and weather and, and whatnot. And you get you're supposed to give yourself six weeks to climb Manaslu, and I managed to give ourselves three weeks. Um, wow. So yeah, we you know that was the first mistake. We flew out too late. We thought it'd be easier than what it was. Didn't acclimatize properly. Didn't take the wrong right amount of food, which, which, you know, ended up me being stuck at camp two in a heavy snowstorm, um, sharing tents with Germans because we we didn't have tents because they're up at camp. Th- like everything that you could think of went wrong. Wow, um, that was nice of the Germans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We knew them luckily, but it's a two-man tent and there's three of us in with full kit. Cozy. And it was, yeah, it was two days of that. I'm trying to beg them for food because my stomach's churning, not acclimatised properly. My climbing partner at the time, John, looks like he was about to die and nearly did. And if I could have my way, if I could go back in time, I'd have definitely took him down the mountain. But we decided the next day when the snow cleared to, to carry on up the mountain in avalanche-prone avalanche, avalanche prone, uh, terrain. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I don't know, you get that summit fever, right? You want to summit this mountain that you've, 
invested so much emotion and energy into and um we got just under camp three and got caught in quite a few hairy avalanches and at that point you know it was it was time to turn around but you know the result of that was all right so we we made the biggest mistakes of our lives which luckily for us didn't end up in our in in losing our lives um and we managed to learn some of the biggest lessons from that do you, do you think by having those experiences where you have to have the the biggest lessons also create the biggest achievements like if you were to think of some of the things that you've you know done Everest twice would you consider either one of those your biggest one of your biggest achievements in life or is it more down to your personal um goals that you want to do or yeah how does yeah i'd say that you know that those everests are two of the biggest achievements that i've i've done in my life um yeah it's hard it's a hard six weeks yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it goes down you know goes down as one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Um, and you did it twice. Yeah. What, what, what made you think, you know, most people are like... I do it next year one... as well. <laughs> like, oh, okay, what, what's your thought process in that? People often are like, this is this is my, my life goal to go and do this this once or whatever. And then you're like, you know what, that wasn't quite enough. I think we need to seek out more challenge and more danger and more, you know, be exposed to fear way more than we are. Like, life's easy, right? You sit in your house all day and... Mm put your kettle on and watch your netflix documentaries and you know you're driving your car to the supermarket and you've got money in the bank it's life's easy um i think there's a a lot of personal growth and development that can come from just you know putting yourself in challenges or exposing yourself to to danger and i think when you know we talk about danger don't necessarily mean that you have to you know go and climb a mountain and throw yourself in front of a car but it's more um hang on what throw yourself in front of a car (laughs) (laughs) Where's, Where's this car? <laughs> I, get, I get the challenge of climbing a mountain. The, the throwing yourself in front of a car—that's a completely different tangent. But yeah, it's it's more just about you know what do you see as being being scary in your life, or what what evokes fear in your body? Because you know being shot at or climbing a, a high mountain and seeing a dead body, or being in an avalanche—it's the same chemical reaction in your body mm-hmm. um, than it is if you you know maybe go for a job interview that you see as as hard or you go and ask a girl or a boy out or Mm. you know whatever it is that you seem difficult you know a drama class it's the same feeling in your body right it's just in a different location a different consequences so is motorsport scary enough for you then to be exciting like is is it just is it enough of a challenge i I assume it is of course because you're you're pursuing it and it's exciting and it's new but are you not concerned that you're going to get to a point where you realise, okay, I'm half decent at this, I'm quite good, but it's not that scary. So is it going to be that much fun? No, because the other thing that I love is things that you can progress in. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And I find the more, well, I mean, the more you do motorsport, the better you become. Yeah, right? of course. If you have a day in the car, like mm-hmm. I went out with Rob West and yep. the the um, uh, Ginetta. Mm-hmm. We had a day on, oh, I can't remember where it was, off the top of my head. We just had a track, there was hardly anyone on it. And he's just like, go out and just keep doing laps. Yeah. And, to the end of that right you've got consistent lap times that are way lower than your original lap time and that's what motorsport's about that's it. it's about getting time in the seat and just doing repetition over and over again and if i can see myself progressing then then i'm then i'm happy that's and then if you can put that into a, a race situation where you're racing against other people that are doing exactly the same yeah like, yeah that's the beauty of motorsport it is that you're absolutely right and that's a common theme i've, I've heard a lot of people that race competitively regularly say is it's identifying that you're you're not only racing against 
perhaps 20 other cars and 20 other drivers in that field but there's the biggest competition is yourself yeah and the minute you're not racing with yourself you're not trying to better yourself then what's the point if you're only trying to keep up with billy in front but not be better than yourself on yesterday's practice day then there's no point carrying on so yeah. that that answers the question you should perfectly. say that about life shouldn't you absolutely it's a great like biggest competition believe me itself, I, right the amount of motorsport slash driving slash motorcycle analogies i often think of it's so true like yeah there's so many things you can think of from a day-to-day um day-to-day life or just being involved in and around the world of cars and competitive motorsport that you can take these practices forward and it's a bit i guess it's the same as military activity as well you know there's so much that you can just feed into the into the daily life and use as a nice set ground for a way to a, a way to manage yourself and self-discipline and goals yeah, and, and like targets when you sit on that grid as well it's you know you're so fixated on what you're doing but you don't realize that everyone else is doing the same everyone's like, got their own agenda yeah. yeah everyone's got their own agenda like no one's thinking about what the car in front's doing or how he's feeling and you, i don't know you build this perception that everyone's really like i did when i did the first races with with the guys on uh, snetterton it was like you build this perception that everyone's a pro and yeah. everyone's really good but everyone's just sat in that car probably bricking it <laughs> yeah. themselves. And that is the, perf- the perfect analogy of life is that a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, all of us as grown adults, and I hope that there'll be someone perhaps of a younger age that's listening to this and this is a bit of a light bulb moment for them, you tend to you get to a point in life where you realise that almost everybody is just winging it. Aren't they? Every, everyone's just 100%. None of having a go at it and hoping for the best. Let's use, without getting political, let's use politics as a key example in the current times where everyone's going, God, it's almost as if they're making it up as they go along. Well, yes, they are, because they are. we're in a world where we kind of have to make it up as we go along because it's something we've never experienced before. Uh, just in case you're listening to this in 2080, we're talking about COVID-19, it's 20. 2020 good to, good to speak to you but you know it's a good time it's the great time the um I but yeah what every, you'll have gone on to become john like, if, I'm, if i'm still here in 20 checking your heads in a box <laughs> like a jar like a fish yeah. tank still doing podcasts <laughs> still talking about that Penagali ride. <laughs> the classic 2020 model life analogies <laughs> but By yeah it's it's true isn't it you know it, it, we're all just in a certain, to certain extremes, some very and some minor, we are all just making it up as we go along. And I, we do all think that sometimes it gets very easy to just think everyone else knows what they're doing. But I, I, I love what you're saying, honestly. It's like, yeah, you know, time in the special force, like you think the special forces are like, wow, they really know what they're doing. They've got the, you know, so professional. Nah, <laughs> we're just winging it on a different level. <laughs> I think it's just like what you said, right? It's the same with anyone who's who looks successful from other people's eyes. Yeah, they just winged it to a whole new level. Completely carried on winging it. Completely, yeah. completely. Anyone that denies that, you're a liar. Yeah. <laughs> professional wingers. Yeah, we all. That's are. what I'm doing next year. <laughs> but is, is, it, Mark. is that is this something that you that led you to, to write the book? That you, the idea of trying to inspire people to just 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 to try and get out there and you know give themselves that fear and get out of their day-to-day lives from everything you've experienced and thinking, you know, people don't have to just sit there and, and follow the, the normal routine of life of, you know, going to university, getting a job, getting married, et cetera, et cetera. You can actually have this fearless life even in your own little ways. Is, I don't, is that something that you wanted the book to kind of inspire people to do? Yeah, 100%, and that's that's in the book. It's Because it's important to say, like, I didn't start out, you know, started out for a pretty normal life, um, pretty normal family went to school found myself completely de-energized with school um you know which probably a lot of kids do right Mm -hmm. like i probably would have been diagnosed with adhd back in the day but we didn't have that then Mm -hmm. so 
you know, I've kind of through hard work and putting myself in, in difficult situations or exposing myself to opportunity and just taking it, which, have, you know, it's led me to live a very fruitful life of, of which I'm grateful for and be exposed to a lot of experiences that a lot of people wouldn't be. Um, and I've found a lot that I got a lot of value and knowledge from that. And the, the book's all about that. The book's all about everything that I learn along the way. So let me pose a question to you because I, so I, it's going to be a very different analogy to one that you're compared to if, if this is in fitting with the way that your mind works. But so um, I look at stress in a, in a particular way of, I, I don't allow myself to get too affected by stress. I revel in stress when an environment, if a situation is going wrong, for example, that's where I, all the cylinders burn and I'm ready to go. When everything's easy and just bumbles along, I, I struggle and I, my attention span disappears and whatnot. That's why you're riding bikes. Precisely. <laughs> yes. The I have a personal so I have a personal event that happens in my life in my teenage years where, as far as I'm concerned, for the foreseeable potentially for the rest of my life, it was the, the the hardest and most stressful and most difficult thing that I have ever been through, and and in my knowledge that I think I will ever go through, and I treasure that memory because it was a a deeply unhappy unhappy experience and unhappy time. However, I use that often when I find myself getting a bit stuck and a bit lumbered down with something that I'm finding really hard or stressful or upsetting. And I, this little light bulb come, always comes on and says, now hang on a minute, you've already done the most stressful, upsetting, traumatic thing you could possibly do. So this is a walk in the park. Do you, does your mentality work in the same way? Do you have something that you think back to and use as a, a benchmark of struggle, stress, pain that you can then use for pushing forward and succeeding? Or is it very much just you go out and do what works for you? No, I've got like a similar moment to you, a very similar moment. I wouldn't, I don't use it. I don't use it the same way you do. Mm. Um, but I, I kind of use it maybe as a benchmark to say that, you know, regardless of what you're thinking or feeling at that, at the time of, you know, the dark time or whatever you want to call it, you get, you build a lot of resilience through through that. Yeah. And those times don't last forever. Um, pain is only temporary failure lasts a lifetime one of my favorite sayings yeah but that almost you know i guess the more of those experiences you feel and you know this is my this is me just saying that this is my experience and Mm. this is not the same for everyone else no of course i know that other people struggle with you know trauma and um but i guess for me i've always i've always felt like i've learned the most and, and grown the most from um from stress yeah i guess which means that i kind of relish it now yeah because i know the growth that i get from it that's it so when i look back say to the first tour that i went on in 2006 um i was 20 years old we were going out every day and involved in fighting um and i i'd see when we when we came back from that tour i'd see some of the other guys that i was with that go you know the the ptsd route and start Mm -hmm. drinking and you know fighting in, in in towns and for me it was you know I've, I've used this a couple of times but i never really spoke about it um i remember listening to uh, a podcast of i can't remember who was doing it but he talked about something called ptsg so pro uh, post-traumatic growth nice and i've always just looked at this you know the experiences that i've been in and and just took positives from it yeah I've, I've never dwelled on any of the negatives or and I don't know whether that's the way I was from birth or whether that's learned through 
through ex exposure to to whatever but i've always looked at stress as a positive thing mm. and even now anxiety like i enjoy anxiety i don't yeah. enjoy it as a feeling mm. but i know that if i get anxiety it's generally because i'm pushing myself mm. and i want to be pushing myself that's it because otherwise it's easy and easy is boring. yeah yeah. I'm going to fist bump you because I'm relating to this massively. <laughs> so did you never have a moment, Jay? Because, I, I mean, I've recently spoken to Ollie Ollerton and, and Jason Fox and both of them talk about when they left the service. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. They had challenging moments. I mean, Ollie in particular threw himself into, into drinking and distracting himself in multiple different ways to, to the point where I mean it's a well-known story he ended up in in Thailand trying to rescue young children from being forced into prostitution just to try and give himself a purpose a reason to keep going and not just disappear into a bottle or stuff he was putting up his nose because it is an extreme change when you've lived the life you've had where every day in the army you have a purpose you have teammates and you have a mission and you have things that you have to do protect and serve and so on and so forth when you left, did you never have any sort of moment where you were like, what now? Um, yeah, but like it goes back to what we were just saying, that there are interesting moments in your life. Um, and there was, I'd, I'd never look at it in a, in a negative way. Like I always, I wanted to leave the military and I was probably gearing up to leave the military, you know, three, you know, four, two years before I actually left. Mm -hmm. So when I left, it was my choice. So if I didn't like it when I got out, I've only got myself to blame for it. Um, but there's a there's a massive culture culture shift from going from working in the SAS where you're surrounded by like-minded individuals who all wake up and do the same thing and, you know, you're all contributing to purpose, like you said. Um, and then you go from that and at the time I basically handed my notice in and six weeks later I was... I left the military, handed my ID card out and drove out the gates. And um, I was renting a, I was in a flat in London at the time and I remember just being sat in this flat and we were trying to kickstart a clothing business and, you know, I'd taken a, a massive wage reduction and I was chewing into my savings and I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> like that was my next purpose and my next challenge. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, there were times when, th there were plenty of sleepless nights. Yeah. But again, it goes back to the anxiety and um, choosing, you know, the the, the path the path of most resistance. 
as opposed yeah. to the path of least resistance. Yeah. There's a great theory of the idea that you can you you will never have a painless life uh, ever. You have to choose your pain and that that you're you're happy to to deal with and choose your 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 problems basically choose your problems and um yeah because everybody thinks that they can just be ha- they they aim to to live for happiness and you, if you do that you will never ever be happy. Whereas you if you but. I have to interrupt that. <laughs> I almost disagree, right? Because okay. if you if you if you don't ever aim for happiness, yep. then you might never get there. But if you aim for happiness, mm-hmm. then at least like you you're gonna get. You might get. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. it's quite a negative way. It's. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I've heard it before. Whereas me, I'm just like right. I'm just gonna aim for happiness because <laughs> for every day, because that's your choice, yeah. right? That's your personal choice. Like I wake up every day and go today. I'm gonna choose to be happy. Hmm. And that's like a better state to be in than, right, I'm going to choose to dwell on every negative thing. And It's so true. I mean, I, I have a, a lot with, um, I speak to a lot of, we were having this conversation earlier, actually, Amy and I, on the way down here, with, we get a lot of young people that look at the industry and the field that we work in. They're always asking for advice. You know, How do I do this? How do I get into that world? Um, and it's, I always feel very awkward giving advice because I ultimately have just been winging it in order to somehow supposedly succeed in the world that I work in now. But the, my advice is always exactly what you've just said, is it, when somebody comes forward with an idea or they're looking for inspiration or they're perhaps not 100% certain that they're in the right field that they want to be working, it, the question is, does it make you happy, yes or no? If the answer is no, then change it. Just change it. And I know that may seem like a bit of a fairy tale theory to somebody, okay, not as easy as to just change the fact that I'm in debt or this, that, the other. But there are so many tiny little steps that you can take just a happier path to get to where you think or at least start in the direction that you want to get to that so many people just disregard they find it so easy to just hone in on what's upsetting and what's difficult and there are people i believe that almost revel in being a bit upset and a bit moody and a bit stressed and it's kind of like trying to shake that out of them but absolutely right following the path of do what makes you happy it's such a simple rule but my god it works yeah it's like all those cheesy analogies that you hear like life's too short and all that yeah. but it's so true it's true <laughs> like i think that's you know i've been exposed to a lot of death in my life yeah seen a lot of dead bodies all that stuff mm-hmm. like that's you know that the you know seeing that and witnessing how insignificant your life was the moment that you die that's right yeah makes you go right well i've got a choice here to either live a great life and enjoy every day or wallow in all the negativity and and crap that you know, that we have in, in the world these days. Indeed. Absolutely. It's got very deep, isn't deep, it? Deep, hasn't it? Yeah. Podcast. I, mean, I like it. Okay, let, let me lift it up a bit. So yeah. you got to the end of the point where you're like, right, I'm done with the military for now and I want to start a clothing company. Mm. So through dark. Yeah. I have one of your jackets. Love it. Um, what got you to thinking, you know what, I want to create clothing from, from military to clothing. It's, yeah, quite a, a change of direction. What was the process in that? Um, I guess leaving the military to go into something that I believed in um, and something, I guess, that I could not, not I mean, not call my own because it obviously wasn't, but just something that it's quite interesting starting something from scratch. Mm-hmm. Like instead of just going into a, like, like even now, I couldn't, I couldn't go into a job that's set up and you get a salary and you pay into a pension and you turn yeah. up at nine and finish at five. I just couldn't do that. And I couldn't work indoors. And I knew that. I knew that when I left the military. Um, so it was, you know, the, the clothing thing was perfect. It was an outdoor clothing brand. I got to be outdoors. I got to take the clothing to all these places around the world and use it and abuse it. And 
yeah, that's that was. The, and the, and you've had the why. ultimate test on the kind of clothing that you're making. You've had to do that that confidence in equipment test as a career. You know the 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 value in having a good jacket and a good pair of boots and actual windproof gear. You've been in the environments where that stuff really matters. So there's a reason it's not pashmina scarves and trilby <laughs> hats, isn't it? What's wrong with the pashmina scarf? <laughs> no, no, no. If that's your thing, then I'm more than happy for you. But yeah. the 2080 range. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spacesuits and uh, jets and cars. <laughs> Imagine the podcast there. <laughs> well, we'll work on it. It's, it, I mean, it sounds like you're very busy all of the time. So with, and also your mentality to just keep challenging yourself, keep pushing yourself. What do you actually do to slow down and relax <laughs> if you do it at all? Uh, work out. <laughs> That's a struggle too, you know. Like, and any tips? Is it true that you live with a Swedish DJ? Yeah. Hey, well, there you go. That's I'm how you not, relax. He's moved out now. He hates oh. me. Yeah. He hates you. He yeah. hates you. Why? Because I was making him get in the bin at 6am every day. <laughs> we were talking about this. We were talking about your, the bin. Your morning routine so of I getting into out, an ice bath. Yeah, I found out yeah. about this. So, right, this I found out about your, your, your bin routine. So I, I heard somewhere that you, you get from your bed into your cold wheelie bin of water. Is it ice and water or just water? Just water. Every morning? Outside. Most. I've not done it for a while. I feel like a fraud. <laughs> but like what? So it, people talk about, you know, cold water swimming and, and, and um, uh, yeah, just oh, just outdoor swimming and getting that feeling of not necessarily adrenaline, but it sets you up for the day. And people might like myself, for example, I'm like, oh, you know, I can't do that because I don't live near any water and stuff. And then I've got you <laughs> going in really your bin. bin. Can I just add that it's not? Rubbish bin. <laughs> it is the recycling bin that you put leaves, compost in. But it's never still, got used. It's still the one the council provides. That's still the, the one thing. that the council yeah. provides. And you can get an extra one. You I can. think it's about eighty pounds. Yeah. Because people are sending me pictures of. Is this like the bins. Wim Young thing? Wim Wim Hof. Yeah. Wim Hof. Thank That's you. That's where I got the idea from. Um, and then got into cold showers. Right, so this morning I went for a run and then I got back and I, sort of I thought to myself, you know what, I'll have, with this in mind, with the wheelie bin in mind, I thought, right, I'll have a cold shower. Do you go hot shower, then end of the cold shower, or do you just get straight in from, like, exercise, straight to cold yeah, shower? Straight the, the, I have done hot to cold. Like, that's the easiest way, right? Yeah, like end, I, sl- I slowly it. turn it down. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to get cold. I find the easiest way, right, is just to get in. Mm. So, like, wake up in the morning, don't just, don't even think about what's going on in your head. Mm-hmm. Turn your shower on, whack it all the way into cold. Don't even let the water come out. Just stand under it and wait for the water. That's Whoa. the best way to do it. How like do you... all, all this like tiptoeing around hot water, <laughs> co- like you're just breeding laziness and what you're doing. Right? <laughs> Turn it on cold, stand under there and just let it hit you. So two questions. What are the benefits and how long do you have to torture yourself like that for? <laughs> um, uh, so there's there's a load of, you know, scientific benefits that go into it. I'm not a scientist. Um Cold shot pro your body releases cold shot proteins which release feel good hormones in your brain. Um, that's one of the benefits. I think there's you know some brown fat again without people correcting me. Um, it's good. It's good for your metabolism. Um, loads of this kind of stuff. It does make you feel absolutely incredible. That's I've, why I do it. Right. I've got this swanky. Should I say remove the S gym that I go to closed at the moment, thankfully, but it's got this wicked loft sauna, like yeah. ninety-five to one hundred and one degree 
um, ambient temperature. You sit in there for 10 minutes and then you get outside and you do the plunge pool. And I remember the first the first time somebody even mentioned it to me, I was like, that sounds disgusting. But it's I was saying to Amy, it's like somebody injects your veins with espresso. You get out of it and you're like, oh, it's the best thing ever. And you end up doing like two or three cycles. It's just so it's I, insane. I randomly bought a sauna during lockdown. There you go. <laughs> which is in my garage. So I've got the sauna in the bin. It's not like your swanky gym, right? <laughs> But going back to what you're saying, if if you're in a bad mood or yeah. or you feel lethargic or anything, anything, right? You get in the sauna, crank it up, hot, do 30 minutes, get out, get in the bin in the winter. Get in the bin. And so no this- word of a lie, like you could call me any name, you could yeah. say anything, right? You know, yeah, the worst thing, could, you know, the worst news could fall on my lap and I am just, I'm zen. Yeah. I'm, I'm feel you know, so like, good. Little steps to get into your bin. I mean, you quite. No, you just get no, it. You can just honestly. <laughs> just, I get asked this all the The bin things, Matt. Like, I'm gonna start selling bins. <laughs> you literally one leg over. You're in. Both hands either side okay, of the bin. And, and drop you, yourself in. Yeah, other leg in, and you're in. And then you bring your knees right. The Swedish trans DJ is six foot two, and he he can get in the bin. And then you just bring your knees up. You can dip your head in after the sauna if you really wanted to. And this water in the bin. Do you ever change it? Yeah, all the time. Okay. <laughs> you don't, do you? It's the same water. I'm the only guy that's getting in it. People are like, mate, how many times do you change the water? I'm like, yeah, once a week, you want to change it. So, do you leave the lid on at least? I shower as soon as I get out of it. So, do you like, so wheelie bin cold, then shower. When do you like, do you exercise and stuff? Because I'm, I'm trying to think about it in like, a, if I can do this every day, I will genuinely take this on. But I'm trying to think of how you, you fit it into your day. Um, yeah. It's, it's, Again, like, so I, like like you said, I'm quite busy at the minute, so um, I'll get up, I'll be awake for 6.30, and I'll either, I either just get my wellies on and just go for a walk for an hour, 40 minutes, um, or get in the bin. Um, it's such an amazing state, because I say, I use the phrase get in the bin when somebody's like pitching a bad idea or just being a bit grumpy, I'll oh, just get in the bin. I've never actually had a conversation where the phrase get in the bin is so frequent. I love it. First thing in the morning. Can we get a t-shirt? Can you make a t-shirt get range? In get, in in the bin. get in the bin. Well, here's um, the thing, right? We do need to, I've been trying to think of a nice way to finish the pod and we do need to come up with a racing name for you, right? Because I've been thinking about Bin this. man. Well, no, the bin man is, I was thinking about the bin Can we get away thing. from the bin? There's too many, yeah, there's too many connotations because if you bin it, then you're never going to win it and all the rest of yeah. it. At first I thought, well, we could call you J Clutch Dumper Morton because that's quite interesting then I thought well maybe we need to go Cold Shock so J Cold Shock Morton I like Cold Shock Cold Shock's nice Cold Shock's good yeah and that's where I'm at at the moment means means I'll win win races during the winter when no one else is racing yeah Yeah, it's nice Cold Shock it's like a good field name Cold Shock that's Cold Shock yeah so there you go you could get that on your racing overalls as well as getting the bin on the back Oh, yeah. Big letters on the back. Yeah. Get in the bin. Sponsored by the council. Sponsored by Wheeler. <laughs> yes. Sponsored by Dusty Bin. Yeah. Good show. This has been amazing. What an amazing conversation. No, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Jay, thanks so much for, for your company today. My word. I mean, I was expecting something that wasn't the normal Driven Chat podcast. I wasn't expecting this. Um, John's been doing some weird finger signs at me, but I can't really see. It looked I'm a bit so like I was. Away. It did look. I was a bit like I was trying to do a, mo- a piano mime. Um, what I was trying to say is, um, if 
it was the word review through the window because <laughs> as as crazy as it sounds, you have to kind of we have to get to the end of a podcast and we have to say if you've enjoyed it, please tell us you have because it makes a massive massive difference. So um, yeah, if you have got a moment, if you if you've enjoyed today's podcast, um, likewise with any of our previous podcasts, if you have got the time to just jot us down a quick review, it means the world to us. And if you are enjoying the pod, it means that other people will also get a chance to see it and it spreads the word and spreads the joy. And if you've enjoyed it and you think, God, there's a good line in there about motivating somebody or telling someone to get in a bin, then why not send them a link to it as well? well? Let's let's get an example. Jay, how would you review today's podcast? Um, Five stars, obviously. Nothing with nothing bin related. (laughs) That'd be negative. One star, too many bins. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) five stars because I've been on it. Uh, (laughs) Not stressful. Maybe that should be my racing name, Five Star Jay. (laughs) I just leave reviews five star everywhere. Perfect. He's a terrible racer, but (laughs) really nice with his reviews. Yeah, yeah. I think there should be a culture of even if you think something's a bit rubbish, give it five stars anyway, but then give a really slay like scathing review. Five stars, worst thing I've ever seen. Fan reviews weird. They are weird, aren't they? But it's it's the world we live in. Yeah, agree, agree. Please review. I didn't mean that. (laughs) Just you're not weird if you write reviews. Review it. If anything, you're gonna print this out anyway. (laughs) It doesn't matter. No, we're not. We're just trying to kind of pad so so it's not the very last thing we say. Um, Jay, listen, thank you so much. I wish you all the success in the future, not just with racing, but with everything that's uh, that's kind of lying await for you. And I guess can we kind of double back and review things in maybe 2080? Yeah, yeah I'll be ahead as well. Fish tank. Yeah, no You'll be ahead off. in a bin. Yeah. <laughs> no more bins, Andy. No more bins. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Oh, wow, you've made it to the end, the very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.